0: Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, as you're turning there, uh, Vaughn, I wanted to make sure that we let people know how things went yesterday, you said there were 17 that came, so wonderful, wonderful, so we had 17 show up for the CPR class yesterday and so you're in good hands, we want to make sure we're taking care of each other, not only spiritually but physically as well we got to have each other's backs along that way and and uh, when I, I now have a new superhero because when I was a kid it was the amazing spider-man and now it's the amazing Win. no I hope I hope that you take it I hope that you take it well because that was I, I'm I'm really there with Vaughn is that we we really appreciate you even as you are red with embarrassment I terribly apologize for that Don't you think it's a good time to get into the Word right now? Why don't we do that? So we're going to do things just a little differently. Normally, I have you stand in honor of His Word, but I'm not going to have you stand this morning, not because I'm not honoring His Word this morning, but because I want you to try to, one, it's a little lengthy, but I I want you to do something. um, You can either read with me. We live in America. You can do what you want in this regard. You can read with me or... You can close your eyes as I attempt to read through this and just try to get a picture of what's going on here. Because what is is happening here is is that God is giving us another angle on what's been happening here. He's giving us another angle of what's going on. So I'm going to read from Revelation 12. We're going to look at the entirety of it. 1 to 17, it says this. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she, has, which she is to be nourished for 1,200 and half a time the serpent poured water like river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of god and hold to the testimony of jesus and he stood on the sand of the sea. may God add his blessing to his holy and his perfect word i 'm always a little hesitant to approach revelation, not because i don 't believe it 's part of the Word of God. no, I think it is a significant part of the Word of God, but because whenever we approach revelation, you start looking at numbers and symbols and and timelines, and then suddenly, for whatever reason. That tends to bring a lot of different opinions and can bring a lot of division, That w- and what can happen there is it can take you away from the point of Revelation. John was called to write down Revelation because the people of God at that point were under such duress from Rome that they began to question whether there was any plan or any hope, whether God's system had failed. And so when they were seeing all of the disciples martyred, except for John, who is stuck out on the middle of the Mediterranean on a little rock, um, Patmos, 13 square miles, because he's in prison for his faith, they began to wonder whether there was any hope. And so Jesus shows himself alive to John. He gives warnings to the seven churches, which are the seven types of churches that are around and then they suddenly, John gets his vision of a throne room. For, for in uh, Revelation 4 and 5, the word throne is mentioned 12 times, and that is a lot in such a short amount of time. It was a reminder that Jesus was still on the throne and that he's still worthy of praise. It starts getting into the scrolls, and John was a little bit uh, uh, upset and wondering because they, they had these scrolls that came out, and, and they were wondering, you know, who is worthy to open the scrolls? And nobody said anything. And John began to weep. Because what those scrolls represent is the outflowing of God's plan. And if there was no one there to unseal the scrolls, then God's plan was not going to be able to move forward. But there was one who would. who's the lion and the lamb who came and unsealed the scrolls. And then everything began to take place. Not only what was going to happen with the people of God, but also the judgments that were going to be unleashed on those who were disobedient. As it keeps going, Revelation is now talking about and really is, is, is meant to disciple us. I grew up, when I was looking at Revelation, I was told that you should read Revelation you know, in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand. Well, be careful of that because what you're going to do is you're going to take the events of the newspaper and try and shove it into, into Revelation. Revelation is meant to disciple us. It's meant to remind us that even with the issues that are going on, And when it seems like the society is prevailing and godless leaders are are running unchecked, when the physical issues and the emotional issues and the mental issues and the spiritual issues and the relational issues seem to be overwhelming us. When we're, you know, we get, we're we're on one hand, we're joyous when babies are born. And on the other hand, we're having to deal with death and sickness on, on the other end. And we begin to wonder, is there any, really any hope to this? because we're all surrounded by such brokenness and such hurt and such turmoil and such pain, Um, depression, anxiety, and suicide, Um, concern about your own personal identity to where operations now are taking place on such young people who are not being guided well. What hope is there? What hope is there when it seems like that everything that is mentioned in the Scripture, society says no. No. Or everything that Scripture says no to do, society says yes. What are we to do? We're to be reminded that there is something else happening more than we can see. In Revelation 11, we talk about the two witnesses. And whether the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah or or, or some other prophet or whatever, we know that they're out there preaching the gospel and they are killed. But later on, we see in Revelation that they are raised to life. Why? Because the gospel message cannot and will not be stopped. As long as Jesus is on the throne, the gospel is going to trumpet forth. And when we look at what is happening here, John in Revelation 12 is reminding us of what is happening during Holy Week. Especially verses 7 to 9. And again, whenever we talk about this, there's all sorts of different thoughts on it. So since I'm talking this morning, I'm going to give you mine. And we can have conversations afterwards. But we need to go through this to be reminded that Jesus is there to keep us in the midst of it all. And that what he has done on the cross and through the empty tomb, he's conquered. But that doesn't mean that the battle is over with. He's going to carry us and he's going to carry us to where we need to be even as the battle rages because we know that the warfare has been accomplished that's not just from handels messiah that's isaiah 40 the warfare has been accomplished even as the battles rage so he keeps us that's our that's our we're just going to go through the outline real quick he keeps us number 1 number 2 he conquers for us He conquers for us. It's already in the title. You get the idea. And number three, he carries us. So let's start with verses 1 to 6. So we see two signs. Sign number one is a sign of a woman, an incredible woman, a woman that is there clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, since this woman, it says later on, gave birth to a male child who would rule all things, it would be understandable for you to believe that this is talking about Mary. It's not. What it's talking about is it's actually talking about the messianic community, the people of God, now, when we start talking about Israel, this is where I've got to be careful as well, because sometimes when we talk about Israel, we begin to think about the political state or the, those who are biological descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But that was only something that really came about up until about, the 18, up until about the 1850s. It was understood from reading the scriptures that it was exclusively talking about, when it talks about spiritual issues, the people of God. Because even the Apostle Paul calls the church the people of God. It is the messianic community of, that is found both in the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament where they're relying on the promises that were made regarding the coming Messiah. And in the New Testament relying on the promises that were kept about the Messiah that had come. So this is all of the people of God. And we find out that from the, from Israel, the, the Messiah was to come. That's why, by the way, when you read in Matthew and reread in Luke and you want to skip over the genealogies, that's just a list of names. That's like reading out of the phone book. No, there's a purpose to it. That, because that was part of the prophecy was that the King of Israel and the Messiah would come from the Jewish line. So we're seeing this here, and the woman, you know, clothed with the sun, moon under her feet. Very similar, if you remember, when Joseph had that dream, and he came and told his his mom and dad and his brothers that you know all of those would, would be bowing to him, and they got upset at him, and that started a, a chain of events that um, led him into ultimate slavery, but then ultimately to second in command in Egypt. It's a fascinating story if you're not familiar with it. It's the last part of Genesis, but the twelve stars represent. The, the foundation of the twelve tribes of Israel, but also the twelve disciples that are there, the apostles and the prophets that laid down the word of God. Now we we have a second sign though, and this second sign is, has a very Lord of the Rings type of feel to it, which J.R.R. Tolkien um, he he understood the scriptures very well, and so he he implemented a lot of these symbolism. But it says when it, it says that she was pregnant, uh, giving birth pains and in the agony of birth verse three then another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon not a puny red dragon a great imposing intimidating red dragon that was on a mission so the red dragon had seven heads and ten horns and on his heads were seven diadems in the book of Daniel, horns represent power, and so whenever there would you know it would begin to talk about these rulers, you know it would talk about how the horns would get bigger because the power was getting bigger. And so when you see the, the numbers seven and ten, that's completion, and what this is talking about is complete and unadulterated and unvarnished evil. The crowns are there because these are representing the the, the rulers of the earth that are being backed by or influenced by the things of Satan. Now, it doesn't mean they're all possessed, because remember when Peter was was talked to and, you know, when he said that, Lord, this will never happen to you, when Jesus said he was going to be killed and, and three days later raised again, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't saying that he was possessed, but he was saying he was being influenced by it. And all of the, well, most of the leaders, if not all of the leaders in our world when you begin to talk about fixing the world, they are talking about, well, we, we got to talk about medicinal things, we got about technological things, and, and educational things, and emotional things. And they begin to go through a whole laundry list of, of things that need to be fixed in order to make our society and our world a better place. But have you noticed that none of them talk about dealing with the spiritual component? I have had very close family members when I have talked to them about well, we've got to be careful because Satan is moving and working in these things. oh come on we're 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 beyond that, and that just goes to show where we are. we have to be but you know but but by that notion. Some of you may be that way as well, you kind of have an understanding that there's a little Satan out there, and he may just annoy you a little bit, but you know really it's not but if you've if you've come and and have seen things that have happened in your family or with your friends or coworkers or things that are happening now, and how it there it there it just seems to be such a careening away from anything that God is saying then I, I don't know what to tell you because I, I, I don't want you to be blind or oblivious to what is happening around us. This spiritual component is the component that is affecting the rest of it. Because look what's happening here. It says his tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and, and cast them to the earth. So this shows at that time that Satan was a, had a cosmic had a cosmic understanding about him, a cosmic characteristic. He is truly mighty. Not almighty, but mighty. Don't underestimate him. And again, when I say Satan, you're like, well, where'd you get that? Well, again, verse 9 talks about that the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, now we're going back to Genesis 3, that was trying to deceive Adam and Eve with another word contradicting God's word. Do you see? And so the great deceiver uh, of the whole world was thrown down to the earth, and the angels were thrown down with him. uh, The accuser of the saints, Satan, will make you, and he's going to try to make God aware of all of your shortcomings, all of your sins, all of your brokenness, all of your faults, all of your foibles, all of your warts, all of your wrinkles, everything. He is going to be. He's he's been doing that, doing that, doing that, and we're going to see though that he's been defeated. And so the one who is accusing us does not have that power anymore, even as he is moving on earth, working in and through us. Now, it says, His tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman. Now, it's been a while since my wife was in a delivery room. The first one, the first child naturally born, the other three were were C-sections. And so it's been a while But I do remember who was in the room. I remember I was in the room. Whoa. Wow. I was in the room. Um, There was a midwife that was in the room. There were two nurses and a lot of technology. A lot of wires. And that's who should be in a delivery room. I can't imagine, and I hope you see how grotesque this is. Because... This dragon is waiting for this woman, the, the, the who represents the people of God, where in Isaiah fifty four it talks about single barren woman for one is going to come from you through the labor and, and travail of birth and this because the dragon knows who is about ready to be born, the one who is going to overthrow him. And he wants him gone. And so he's waiting, not as a midwife to bring life, but as a murderer. He wants to devour him. He wants to eat him. Do you see? But it says here, verse 5, she gave birth to the male child, the one who is, a, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's why I read from Psalm 2 earlier. Because the nations are raging against him. The nations rage. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. Why? Because it talks about how they're trying to burst the cords. The cords of what? Of God's restrictive and protective word. They want to break those bonds and do whatever they want. I was talking to somebody earlier, and you know when you get to when you get to where you're moving out from where you're you know living with mom and dad, and you know sometimes you make decisions that aren't really that good, and maybe you decide you're not going to go to church anymore and you 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 feel like you're free. I can do whatever I want. Now those of you that may have had a few more miles on you is doing whatever you want and being completely free. To follow all the desires of your heart, is that freedom? Is that a good thing? No, sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, that's the very worst thing that can happen to you. We need those, that restriction that's going to keep us where we need to be. And so this is what they were talking about, but there was going to be one who's going to come and he's going to be installed on Mount Zion and no one's going to be able to usurp him. He is there. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords and nothing's going to be able to move him out. And so they give his life in, in very quick order, but her, but her child was caught up to, the, to his throne. So we're basically going from Bethlehem to Ascension, just like that. Well, where's everything else? Where's where where's his life? Where's the virgin birth? Where where is you know where you know, he's starting his ministry? Where's the crucifixion? Where's the resurrection? Well, it's already been talked about earlier. The point now is there is a, a dragon that was out that was trying to undermine all the work that God was doing to, to save his people from their sins, and he couldn't do it. He's sitting right there waiting for him. And he couldn't get him. It's, and so what happens to the woman, the people of God? Remember the symbolism, what this is talking about? And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And I know some of you are timing this out like, oh my goodness, he's been talking about this for a long time and he's only gotten to verse 6. Hang in there. Because what I, we need to set the table here. So what's going on here? Why the wilderness? Well, the wilderness, if you, if, if you know anything about the Bible at all, and if you're new to it here, I want to help you here. The wilderness, the first thing we think of with the wilderness is the Exodus, when the people of God were rescued. From the tyranny of Pharaoh, and they were sent out into the wilderness. The wilderness, though desolate, was a place of protection and also a place of God's presence. Remember the tabernacle? When they were building the tabernacle that says that they would be led by God, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. When the cloud went or the fire went, they went. When the cloud stopped, fire stopped, they stopped. They, God provided worship, God provided food, God provided shelter. Their clothes didn't wear out. That's in the Bible, by the way. Their clothes didn't wear out. There wasn't like a J.C. Penney's or a Kohl's or wherever where you could go and stock up. Their clothes didn't wear out. God protected them and kept them. So 1,260 days. Now we see this actually said again later on in verse 14 where it's talking about that they were to be nourished. She was to be nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. What in the world are we talking about? Well, here's what I think, because there's, there's, there's conversation about it. But here's what I think. So, we, as, we have to realize that when we're reading the Bible, we've got to read the Bible on the basis of who the original audience was. This was not written for 21st century Americans, although there are obviously some transferable promises and principles that we can benefit from. But we also have to realize this was written in the first century to both Jews and Greeks that had an understanding, some, a serious understanding of what's going on. I'll give you an example. And as I was, I was reading this in a commentary, and I thought, this really helped me, so I'm going to pass it along to you. So if I were to say four score and seven years ago, Those of you that are Americans and have been a product of the public education system, you know what four score and seven years ago is. But if you're not, you're like, four score, I remember score, score, what's score? Oh, score's 20, right? Four, 20 times, so it's 87. And so that's all you're thinking is 87, Whereas we as Americans, we're like, no, 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 that's middle of the Civil War. That's Gettysburg Address. That's November 19th, 1863. That is four score and seven years ago. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we're in the midst of this great Civil War. And so you start going on of the people, by the people, for the people. And all of a sudden, I mentioned four score and seven years ago, and suddenly all of this stuff starts to cascade in about who we are as a nation, what we should be as a nation what we went through as a nation boom 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 right so so 1260 days so in 167 bc there was a gentleman who had ascended to basically a rule over the people of israel by the name of antiochus epiphanes the fourth and what he did was he decided that he was going to violate and desecrate the temple because if you know the temple, there weren't supposed to be extra images there. That was violation of, of Second Commandment. No, so he decides he's going to go in there. He's going to put his image up. He's going to desecrate the temple, and he's just basically going to tell the people of Israel, "You're of no account. I don't care what your law says. I'm God." That's what Epiphanes means—an appearance of God. He called himself one who was an appearance of God, and there was four of them. That's Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. So in 167 there was this family that arose and led by a guy named Judah, Judah the hammer, and they were from the Maccabean family. And so he they, they go against Rome, unheard of. And keep in mind, Israel had not had their own land for centuries. So he goes after them. Well he dies, and his brother takes over and he dies. But over the course of three and a half years, 1260 days, you divide that by thirty. That's 42 months, three and a half years. Evil ran unchecked until they were finally defeated. So when they're talking about a time, that's one year, times, that's two years and a half, you see the half? finger right there, three and a half years, so that's saying the same thing. So just like four score and seven years ago for us, when they're seeing, when they're hearing 1,260 days, time, times, half a time, that is evil running unchecked until it was finally defeated. So when we go down to verses seven to nine, and we're talking about the conquering, look at what's being said here. Now, a war arose in heaven, and I believe this is taking place while Jesus during Holy Week, and as Jesus is going to the cross. We can have a conversation about that later. But while Jesus is going on the cross, to our understanding, it looks like, well, he's just dying on the cross. Thank you for being such a great example for us. No, 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 no. There's way more that's going on than that. And if you watching March Madness, so if you're watching March Madness, if you're not figuring out what March Madness is, that's just the Division One college tournament that's going on. They call it March Madness because it's really, it's really crazy. All of the things that are going on here. San Diego State's now playing uh, uh, UConn in the final. I mean, it's just, just been a been a crazy thing. But when you're watching basketball, there's cameras everywhere, and so. When, when someone steps out of bounds or there's a ball that goes off somebody and the referee makes a call, the coach can challenge, and all of a sudden you're seeing an angle from here, and then you're seeing an angle from here, and then you're seeing an angle from here, and then you're seeing an angle from here, you're like getting five or six angles, trying to get some perspective on what's going on, and usually one of those angles will be able to tell you what's, what's really happening, but all of those angles are important, and that's what's going on here. So now there is, a, there is an angle that's happening here. Whereas they're looking at Jesus dying on the cross. What's happening in heaven is there's a war that is going on. Michael, the archangel, with his, with, with his guys. And he's, he's going after the dragon. And the dragon has their guys. And Michael and, the archangel, and the, the archangel win. They win. And it says here in verse 10, well, verse 9, that he was thrown down. And it says that four times in this passage, in this paragraph. He's thrown down. He's thrown down. He's thrown down. He's, thrown down, he's cast down. In case you didn't get it the first three times. But look at verse 10. And now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying. uh, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying. didn't say I heard a loud voice reading this in heaven. I wonder if it was like this. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him. Think of town crier. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens. And you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Chills anybody? I read through that and I'm like, if someone, after all of that that was going on and all of the issues that are going on in life, and it looked like that there was no hope, there was nothing good that was going to come out of it. And then all of a sudden, I hear this town crier, this angel, stand out in the middle of the square and give this news that the enemy, the enemy of all enemies, has conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. Well, here's the, here's the thing that we have to realize, though is that the the devil has been conquered. Don't underestimate him, but don't overestimate him. Don't underestimate his power. Don't underestimate his ability. Don't underestimate his scope. But don't overestimate him like, say, the Mormons would, because the Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers, which means they believe that Jesus was created and that they have equal power. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Satan is a creature, and it says here that his time is short. He's no longer cosmic. He is now here wandering to and fro on the earth, but he is mad. It's interesting reading about wars, and if you read about the Civil War, and even, you know, there were still skirmishes that were going on even after Lee surrendered at Appomattox, and they were ugly, and they were bloody, but if you look at the last six to nine months of the Civil War when the Confederacy kind of had an idea that, you know, it, it, was, it was about up, that's when they fought the hardest. And that's what happens. And you see that all over and over in military history that when someone knows that they're about to go down, that's why we got to – I'm just saying, you know, people – you know, Russia, boy, just watch Russia and watch some of these other folks that when – when, if they're if – they since they're about to go down – that's when it's about to go down, if you understand what I'm saying. And Satan knows this. And so, verses 13 to 17, I won't spend the equal amount of time on it because, you know, what it, it's talking about here in verses 13 to 17, he'd been thrown down to the earth, the woman who had given birth to the child, and so he's decided he's going to go after the woman. Well, just like God said of the people of Israel, I will take you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. He's doing the same thing to us. He's taking us and freeing us from the dominion of Satan. The serpent poured out, verse 15, like water out of his mouth after the woman. Well, you you kind of see Red Sea type of deal. They thought they could drown the people of Israel. God parted the water. They crossed on dry land. He's always doing that. He's always rescuing his people like that. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, because the woman, again, she, went, she was out to be nourished in this place. But then it says in verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. So if the woman is the people of, Israel, is the people of God, then who are her offspring? More people of God. And those of you who are followers of Jesus, be careful about how you say your testimony. Because sometimes when we say our testimony, we say, I know God was really good to me because he gave me this sweet job and he gave me A's in school and he gave me good physical condition and all that. Well, praise be to God, but be careful when you're giving your testimony that you're making it sound like that that's, all, that's what's going to happen to everybody. Because those that are meeting in underground China are meeting in Iran where Bibles are illegal. You could die for owning a Bible. That's in our world and it's it, it's getting that way now if you believe biblical things and you're going to be canceled or lose your job see this is what's going to happen i think for us in 50 years if things keep going the trajectory it is i know god is good because when i said something about jesus at my workplace they fired me they froze my accounts i almost died I'm going to die. Because that's what's happening. Satan is furious. Now you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. If that's what it means to be a Christian, that I'm going to be rejected and mocked and persecuted and, and be put to death, I'm out. Well, let's put it another way. Is this life all that there is? Now some of you may be acting that way. The way, the way you're dealing with your money, the way you're dealing with your fame, the way you're dealing with your reputation, you are, you are all in here. Not to, don't tell my mom I use this, but you're putting all the chips in the middle of the table. That's what you're doing. I've seen it in movies. I don't do that. But you're putting it all in there. That that's where this is. That's what it's all about. This and nothing more. And yet Jesus comes along, and we read these passages here, and there is so much stuff going on that we're not aware of. But we are now. And so what do we do? We know that Satan is coming. If you're a a follower of Jesus, you have just signed up for warfare. You're in the army now. You're in his army now. And Satan is very, very clever, As a really clever enemy. He's going to try and tempt you in very, very subtle ways. It could be about church. It could be about reading your scriptures. It could be about how you treat other people. It could be about this and that and thou and thus. He's, he, he is really good. He is really skilled. When you've been doing something for a long time, you get really, really good at it. And you're like, I can't do this. He is way too powerful of an enemy for me. Good. Okay, that's a good place for you to be. Because if you think that you can fight him on your own, you can fight the temptation, you can fight the addiction, you can fight the issues that are going on in this life, you can fight it politically, medically, socially, you think you can fight it with man's weapons? Then you are going to be in a bad way. You're going to be frustrated and you're somehow you're going to blame God for why, God, are you letting this happen to me? And God's up in heaven saying, I've given you everything you need. I've given you the armor. Protect your thoughts. Protect your hearts. Shoes to go into the battle. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. I've given you everything you need for the battle. I'm not going to enlist you and then not help you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. So, when we know that Satan is furious, good, because that means that he knows that his time is short and his scope is limited. But we also know that there is one who's conquered by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. That's what happened at the cross. He conquered for you. Otherwise, we'd be devoured by the dragon like everybody else. But Even though Satan is wandering and roaring and and wandering around like a lion, ready to devour. If we are followers of Jesus, yeah, there may be things that will affect us. But Satan has no hold over you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're exposed. And the way he'll expose you is making you think that you're going to be all right. And that you can handle it. I got this. No, you don't. If you have ever said, I've got this, then what you have said is, Jesus, that thing you did on the cross, that's not for me. You didn't need to do that for me. Those other people, yeah, not for me. Oh, repent and come and see all that he has accomplished for you, not just what he's accomplished for you, but why. We need him. And he has accomplished everything on our behalf to be able to help us Every single step of the way. So Father, I pray that as we look on this Palm Sunday and we see how your son rode in on a donkey as king. The palms were laid down befitting a king in that culture. Lord, we know that the next day you overturned the tables in the temple because they were not treating your house as a house of prayer. We know that one of your disciples was going to betray. We know another was going to deny. We know that your, he was going to be arrested and tried and crucified with the crowd that said, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That same crowd was saying, crucify him, crucify him. But thank you, Lord, that we can sing. Up from the dead he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. Father, I don't want to be a foe to you. I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to be who you'd have me to be. I want, when when it says Jesus is Lord, I want it to say Jesus is my Lord. Be in control. Take my life and consecrate it, Lord, for you. And may there be people who, if there's some here who have never trusted in Christ, may they not leave without knowing that there is one who has conquered the great red dragon. And no more of those accusations will he put put toward us, because that has been conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Keep us faithful, Lord. Give us strength to persevere. And if there's anyone here who needs salvation from the great red dragon this morning, from their own sin this morning, may this be the day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.